Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition brought to you by Campus 2 Canton. Follow them on Twitter at Campus the number 2 Canton. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the man, the myth, the legend. He does everything over here at CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter machine. Gentlemen, it is the last week of the regular season. Now, there are still some regular season games that will be played after this. Obviously, Army-Navy and conference championships, which are more postseason-y, but there's a couple more regular season games after this. But this is it. This is pretty much you're getting your bowl spot, yes or no. Uh, you'll get your bowl bids after this. Conference championships after this next week, so way fewer games. But this is the last look at a bunch of teams for 2023. And then we will be heading into 2023 bowl season and 2024 preseason because there is no off season. We're not allowed to call it that. We know that. <laughs> so 2024 preseason is what we are heading towards. But um, what stood out to you guys, Nick, I'll start with you in week 12 before we dive into the week 13 action. Well, you know, the, the thing that is first and foremost on my mind always is how did our numbers do? And it was, Another really solid week above 500 in all three of our projection models and our uh, over-under projections as well. Uh, also, all three teams, uh, all, when all three agree on a favorite, uh, had one of our best weeks of the year, went eight and three, and then had a positive week on wrong teams uh, favored, were uh, five and three in, in those scenarios. So I'll take that. Every every week of the year, absolutely. Um, feel pretty good about where we are to date uh, numbers-wise. Still, as you mentioned, a full week plus a handful of conference championships and bowl games left to screw it all up. But um, so far, you know, feel feel good about well where we are. As for the games themselves, I don't think there was. I don't know. Nothing. Nothing was. You know, shocking. We still haven't seen a major upset of you know one of the one of the top uh, playoff contenders. We haven't seen a keep wait, know, yeah, <laughs> uh, top top five team lose to an unranked team, things like that. There've actually been relatively few uh, upsets in general compared to the last five years. We've been tracking you know our performance straight up, and this is far and away. The, the best year we've ever had. And a large part of that is because there just haven't been that many completely unexpected uh, losses. And and so we have, you know, so many see what, what always, or, you know, leading up to this year, we would call deserving teams there in the, uh, in the mix for a spot in, in that final four. It seems like this might be a year in which, a really, really good and otherwise deserving team might get left out. I wonder if Florida State, especially after Jordan Travis went down with a horrific uh, lower body injury in, in a meaningless game against North Alabama, um, I wonder if a 12-0 Florida State team you know, could, could find themselves in that situation. Um, but the week as a whole, Georgia looks <laughs> as good as, as uh, we've – We've seen the last couple of weeks, they are really gearing up toward um, another run at a, a national championship. Ohio State is really 
peaking, I think, at the right time. I think, oddly enough, this 11-0, number two ranked Ohio State team has been a little bit under the radar all year. Uh, Michigan kind of played around a little bit with Maryland, but got the job done. And, and Washington found a way to win on the road in Corvallis. So uh, impressive performances for you know different reasons, but that group in particular is, uh, you know, has everything to play for still. And, and uh, a lot of them are going to be involved in, you know, some interesting games this week as well. Yeah. I mean, uh, last chance for uh, some weirdness for some of these teams. A lot of these teams will have conference championships as well that they can lose and, and get knocked out. But like Nick said, Xavier, not a lot of upsets this year. So it's kind of been a little status quo. I mean, there have been teams beating the spread and stuff like that and overs and unders, but in terms of just straight up losses, yeah, you know, I keep waiting for one of these teams to drop one and they keep not dropping one. So Texas can sneak back in there. It's a bad year to, <laughs> to drop one on the way uh, there. If only we had a 12 team playoff, this I was going to say like a yeah. much better year, but uh, we don't, we only have the four. So your thoughts on week 12 and all the action. Yeah. I was going to say, this is, this feels like the perfect year. This would have been a perfect year next year for the 12-team playoff. Like, right. perfection. Um, you know, you've got no real dominant outfit right Missouri now. in there would be so much fun to watch. Dude, right? So well right yeah. now. Yeah, I think Missouri would be a great team to be in there right now. Um, I would love to see, especially if Oregon doesn't make it in, what they would look like in a 12-teamer. Um, you know, obviously Florida State now being pushed out of the college football playoff after this week. Uh, possibly due to the injury, but I think more so due to the resume would be a really good will be a really good opportunity to see what they were like against other teams in the country. It would just be a really good year, right? And watch next year we're gonna have like three dominant teams. <laughs> uh, it's gonna be chalk again. Um, but Murphy yeah, and his laws, right? So I think the, the what, what I did pull away from last week though is the teams that continue to skate by the skin of their teeth continue to do so. Um, Washington, another win, but another game where I felt like. They left a ton of opportunities on the board. Uh, Texas was in a bout against Iowa State, um, you know, with, once again, much the better team, but doesn't look like it for four quarters. Um, Louisville needs probably the worst tackling job in football to get a win against Miami. Um, Just, once again, I felt like when I watched this week's games, I go, the teams that have proven to me that they're one of the best teams in the country look like it, Ohio State. Michigan to an extent, um, and Georgia continue to look like some of the best teams in the country, Florida State as well. And then everybody else gets kind of, you know, is, is chilling back there, you know. You kind of think, you know, maybe they're good enough, maybe they're not. Um, but I'm I'm really excited for, for this week in particular. Well, conference championship week, because uh, I do think a lot of these teams will obviously didn't get to face each other. Um, I had Bama fans in my mentions talking about how good Jalen Miro looked. I said, you played Chattanooga. Um, <laughs> but, um, and I'm also, after watching this week, I realized how excited I'm going to actually be for things like conference realignment due to the fact that it's going to make sure that weeks like this don't happen. Uh, because, you know, Bama always plays somebody absolutely trash before the first week, uh, before the Bama, uh, sorry, before Auburn. And yeah, it's, uh, it's unnecessary. Um, you know, no more will they be playing the Citadel in week 11. Uh, so that'll be fun. Like Florida uh, State playing Northern Alabama and getting their quarterback hurt. Yeah. I mean, so, it's, you know. it's ridiculous that we can get to this late in the year and the best teams in the country, you know, Ole Miss played UL Monroe. Um, even though my team was, you know, even my, you know, my alma mater was a part of the slaughtering this week. 
Georgia State playing LSU. Like, come on, guys. Um, oh, a quick side note, though. Clemson does kind of get its win of the season, quote-unquote, by beating North Carolina, something we talked about on the podcast, um, in a very – how do I say this without being insanely mean – uh, a mid-fest of a game. Uh, I feel like both teams weren't all that great. Cade Klubnik was okay. Drake May was bleh. Um, probably his one of his worst games of the year. Um, but, yeah, Clemson gets its kind of its namesake win of the year that they can hold themselves on to for next season. <laughs> so. I do like how you destroyed it before you complimented it. That was uh, of course. Uh, nice, uh, n- nice way to do that. Uh, no homerism found anywhere, uh, I think. Yeah, so. Okay. Of course not. Well, look. I wonder if you might be getting ahead of yourself a little on the no cupcake week matchups, though. I'm I'm not sure those are going. I hope uh, I'm anywhere. We'll we'll have to. I I don't know 100% for sure, but that's um, if there had been some movement on that. That's news to me. So we'll have to see how that. I'm I'm just hoping I'm wrong more so than I'm actually thinking (laughs) I'm wrong here. Um, and then lastly, we get one of the weirdest three-way yeah. ties in football right now. Um, as it looks like as long if everybody wins out this week, even though they're currently, if you look at the standings in fourth place on Google, Kansas State will be your big 12 attendee against Texas, I believe. Um, I believe that's how that goes uh, for them, even though Oklahoma State has been both teams. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily know why that's the case. Apparently, it's a big 12 thing, and they don't necessarily go off of head-to-head. Uh, but yeah, looks like if everything, if everybody wins out two through four, uh, that's Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, and Kansas State. Kansas State is your uh, competitor for Texas in the Big Twelve Championship. Game. I'm look, I'm focused on Texas Tech, so that's, Understood. that's beat Texas Tech. So that's what I want. I want to beat every Big Twelve, every team that's going to be in the Big Twelve next year that we have to face. I want to beat on the way out. That is all. <laughs> I, I like it. Go ahead. Just- Nick. Just did a quick look, uh, only pulled up Alabama, so who knows what the rest of it is. But okay. uh, Alabama is scheduled to play on Saturday, November 16th, Mercer next year. Mercer. So. Well, everybody Shoot. knows Mercer is going to be in the national what, attention what, what, next what, year. If, <laughs> yeah. this, if this was basketball. Eastern maybe. Illinois in 2025. I don't think these games are going. Oh, Jesus, man. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> can't keep away with this. I mean, uh, maybe they'll put them uh, closer to the beginning of the season. We will see in the future. But let's dive in to what is going to be happening in week 13. And we're going to start on Friday with UTSA on the road at number 23, Tulane. The line here is Tulane by three at home. 51 and a half is the total, Nick. How do you see this game playing? Well, I, I am not sure if we have talked about UTSA at all this year. It not was much. Very not much. early, maybe <laughs> in the season. Um, uh, UTSA is a team that our numbers really, really liked coming into the year. They they brought back Frank Harris in his what seventh year. Um, really highly rated player has been incredibly productive over the course of his career. Also brought back some talent around him, guys like Joshua Cephas, uh, DeCorian Clark was a big time uh, playmaker in. 2022 unfortunately clark has missed almost the entire season due to injury and uh frank harris was just not healthy coming into the year and you know utsa stumbled out of the gate they were one in uh one in three prior to getting uh, uh an off week september 30th and frank harris actually missed 
um, at least one game, uh, perhaps two, but I know did not play in that Tennessee game uh, prior to the off week. And, and it looked like, you know, this UTSA team that we projected, I think they were our highest rated AAC team in the preseason, if, if memory serves. Um, they just did not look like the UTSA team that had dominated Conference USA and, you know, appeared poised to make a move in a new conference. You know, they, they uh, were also a little bit banged up on the offensive line, a little bit banged up. I know Trey Moore, their star um, edge defender, pass rusher, uh, was banged up a bit early in the year. Um, but things just started out so poorly that UTSA kind of fell off the map a little bit. However, once, you know, they got through that bye week and, and Frank Harris came back and, uh, seemed like the the rest really did um, get him back as close to 100% as you could hope for. U- UTSA has been a completely different team, uh, you know, once the calendar turned to October. Not only are they 7-0 in conference play, um, but the postgame win expectancy numbers, pretty good. I mean, they, they you know, eased in with a 76% against Temple, 59% against UAB. But then after that, I mean, 100%, 94, 83, 99, 99. UTSA is playing like the team that we expected coming into the year. And now, you know, after starting out so slow and and looking like they were just going to fall well short of expectations, um, now they look like a team that really is capable of competing with Tulane for a spot in the AAC championship game. And that's what's on the line here because, you know, SMU's a three-touchdown favorite against Navy, SMU has not played either Tulane or UTSA, but they get through. They'll be undefeated in conference play, and the winner of this game will be undefeated in conference play as well. So uh, Tulane has has lived up to expectations. Uh, as far as wins and losses go, for sure. I mean, they played really, really well in their uh, big-time matchup, uh, national TV, you know, big-time network on uh, against Ole Miss at home in week two, came up short. In that game was much closer than the final score would suggest, um, but they've taken care of business since. They haven't had you know less than a seventy percent uh, post game win expectancy number, sixty five percent I should say. They struggled a little bit with Tulsa, but they too have weathered some injuries. Uh, Michael Pratt was a little bit banged up. He's back and closer to full speed. They are less than hundred percent at the wide receiver position. Jaquan Jackson missed last week. Sounds like he is questionable at best coming into this game. Lawrence Keyes third was also out last week, and he will not be back uh, in time. But, you know, they took him a little while, found the running back that, you know, they, they of course, had to replace uh, one of the best players in college football at that position. Makai uh, Hughes comes in, sort of solidifies it, has, you know, tailed off just a little bit uh, down the stretch. But this two-lane team is, you know, playing – uh, like a top 50 team. They are, of course, a 10-win team, top 25 in the playoff rankings, in the position to be the uh, New Year's Six representative from the group of five. So they take care of business in this game. They'll have uh, basically a play-in game. That This is a play-in game to the next week play-in game uh, for that New Year's Six spot for Tulane. So uh, looking at our projections, um, they are very, very close to what the odds makers have. Uh, the official line that we used on uh, Tuesday was Tulane favored by three. Uh, we have 
Tulane favored by at least two, but no more than 2.76. So we're technically on UTSA to cover, Tulane to win. Don't see an edge at all um, in this game. Do see, you know, we, we do come in a couple of points uh, over the 51 and a half, but this is a, an evenly matched game, two evenly matched teams, but Tulane gets the home field advantage and, you know, seems like uh, in position to uh, win this game and, and then have an opportunity to uh, win that New Year's Six slot if they can get through who we assume will be uh, SMU in the following game. Xavier, do you think that uh, Tulane is going to do this and wrap it up and, you know, have a good year? Or is this the upset that we've been waiting for? You at UTSA is going to win this game and push Tulane back to a normal ball. I'm not sure. Um, because if I'm looking at obviously Tulane being 10 and one, I feel like their record is rather deceiving. Um, they are a team that's kind of just been sleepwalking for the last, like three of the last four weeks. They have not been impressive whatsoever. Right. Uh, they beat rice by two. They beat two, they beat uh, three and eight Tulsa team by two. Um, they're just, they haven't not been an impressive outfit. And you look at, you know, I didn't even mention the fact that they beat East Carolina, who's currently sitting at one and eight by three. Um, and Michael Pratt has played, I think, in all three of those games that I just named. Uh, I just feel like right now UTSA is playing the better football, and sometimes that's what matters. You know, Nick alluded to the fact that UTSA started off the year slow, uh, but it's kind of ramped it up as they've gotten healthy. Uh, we know Michael Pratt has dealt with some injuries throughout this year, but I feel like, once again, they have not played their best football yet this year. Uh, or sorry, they have not been playing their best football. Uh, we're on the flip side. I feel like UTSA, you know, if you look at, you know, and obviously I'm not one of those people who just looks at, uh, you know, the matchups that each of them played. But if you do, UTSA beat Rice by 20. Um, you know, they beat East Carolina by two scores. So, you know, you look at what each team has been able to do. And you have to look, you have to be, you know, somewhat impressed that UTSA down the stretch has just played better football, right? They're coming off of a 28 shellacking, 28 point shellacking of uh you know usf so i i think right now utsa is playing better football i think Tulane, on paper feels like the more confident team to pick here the better team to pick here uh but i'm leaning towards utsa to just be the team you know sometimes in, in football it's about coming in with the right amount of momentum um and not necessarily what you look like weeks one through four but what you look like now i mean heck uh you know scott knows that by you know What's the, we always talk about at the NFL level, what's the scariest team coming into the playoffs? And that sometimes is the team that everybody's worried about. It's not the one seed who's been sitting up there all year dominating. I just watched uh, my baseball team do it. Right. You know, you have to fight for a month to get in. Yeah. And you've been fighting those battles for a month and you take that momentum with you. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So give me UTSA here in the upset. Um, Michael Pratt has really been kind of kind of worries me coming into this matchup his his last three games or his last four games really he just has not been playing at a level that i think you know in a game like this where we all obviously we understand what utsa is going to be bringing at quarterback hasn't been impressive enough we talked about in in the quote-unquote preseason how we thought michael pratt could really take that next step especially after they were their win last year um and he just has not really flourished i mean in his last five games that's three games He's thrown, you know, seven touchdowns, but he's also thrown a handful of interceptions to go along with that. Um, and it just, you know, like I said, it has not been, in my opinion, uh, you know, impressive enough for a guy that, you know, in this year I expected to really take a jump. 
um, after last season. So give me UTSA to win this ballgame. Um, I know, you know, it's obviously an upset for sure. Um, but give me UTSA to win this game. And, yeah, I, I just right now I can't see myself picking Tulane with the way that they've looked over the last four weeks. All right, let's go to what are we calling this now? Nick, we're not supposed to call it the Civil War. Civil War. <laughs> I think maybe they right? gave up. I'm, I'm then, seeing Civil War everywhere. Okay. So. <laughs> uh, all right. Yeah, I kind of thought so because I was like, I know they kinda didn't like want the cocktail party, it. right? Yeah, we're gonna try not to, but then yeah, nobody, yeah. nobody. This plays is what everyone so. calls it. So yeah. yeah, the Civil War, last one uh, for a while, maybe here. Uh, Oregon State uh, on the road against Oregon. Oregon is a 13 and a half point home favorite, 62 and a half is the total in this game, Nick. Um, I mean, obviously a lot on the line for Oregon, um, but Oregon State is mad. They want to wreck Oregon's day here. Um, it's more than just what is on the field. It's obviously Oregon going to the Big Ten, hanging Washington State and Oregon State out to dry. Um, even the Apple Cup, Washington and Washington State have kind of worked through their stuff and signed an extension to keep that game this game is bitter there has been nothing signed no continuation this might be it so uh walk me through this game and how do you see it playing out because this is one of two ranked on ranked matches here it's number 16 oregon state at number six oregon yeah i mean you know talking about the the away from the field stuff surrounding this game it's it's kind of like bedlam Right. I mean, we, we spent a good chunk of time more than we usually do talking yeah. about those sort of things uh, in that matchup. And and this one is similar. Now, the thing that the underdog has uh, you know had in, in that game uh, was that Oklahoma State, the game was in Stillwater. This one, the game is in Eugene. So Oregon State, you know, nearly a two touchdown underdog coming in. Uh, Oregon is playing like one of, if not the best team in the country. Uh, obviously they have that one in the loss column because they couldn't get it done against Washington, but uh, take care of business here. They're probably going to have an opportunity uh, for revenge. And, and I mean, Oregon's one of the teams that I would not want to play right now. I mean, they are number two in team performance uh, in our overall team performance numbers. They are number two now in our power rankings. Um, they are number one in offensive team performance, have a top 20 defense. Bo Nix, you know, looks like a, certainly a Heisman finalist, if not uh, the player to beat for the Heisman right now. You know, uh, Tez Johnson, his brother, has become the go-to receiver, big play, uh, highly productive receiver the last month of the season. Um, Troy Franklin is one of the best receivers in the country, um, still continues to be productive. Bucky Irving is, has played through some injuries um, and, you know, it's just been, I don't know, this offense, there's, there's no weak spot. I mean, they've got one of the best wide receiver combos in the country. They've got a great running back duo, one of the best quarterbacks. Um, and, you know, the offensive line is, is playing pretty well too. Number two right now in our O-line performance uh, rating. So um, this Oregon team, I mean, I was trying to look back at, because it, it seems like Oregon State similar in, in a lot of ways to Oklahoma State, where, you know, they are sort of a thorn in the side sometimes. Do play this game closer than you would expect, what the odds makers often expect, or what the talent uh, numbers would expect. Um, but 
if if I if my you know twelve seconds of research uh, <laughs> while I was on mute earlier is, is correct, Oregon State has not won in Eugene since two thousand seven. Um, so there've been a lot of close games in there and Oregon state has won in Corvallis in this series, but, um, Oregon usually takes care of, of business, uh, in, in this rivalry game, um, in their home stadium. So, uh, Oregon, I think is just going to be too good to beat, uh, especially at home, I think is, is going to be maybe too tough for Oregon state to, to actually pull off the upset. I don't think the off the field stuff is uh, quite going to be enough to get it done. Partly because some of that off the field stuff is, is really kind of leaning towards it sounds like Jonathan Smith maybe is on his way out. Sounds like um, if a report I saw earlier today from football scoop is correct, that uh, Jonathan Smith is, is the lead candidate at Michigan state. Um, and, you know, he didn't necessarily deny that, that, uh, his, his agent is in, in contact with people recently, uh, in an interview there locally, uh, this week. So that I think is, is, you know, maybe going to chip away a little bit at, at potentially at, at some of that, um, vitriol that, that exists, uh, between these two teams and especially on the Oregon state side, I, I just think, Man, you know, if they were at home, yeah, then then it really would be uh, a prime upset spot. And it's still a losable game for Oregon. But I, you know, our projections actually have Oregon covering in both the team strength uh, projection and the talent edge. And our prism model, the stats only model, is very, very close. It's right at 13. So couldn't quite get the 13 and a half. Um, but our numbers love Oregon and Oregon state is, is a very good team, a tough team. Um, but we saw that they, you know, came up short last week against Washington state. Couldn't quite get it done. Um, and I, you know, I, I just, I just fear that, uh, as good as Oregon state has been and, and really is top 20 in our power rankings, top 10 in overall team performance. Um, I just think Oregon right now is, is maybe the best team in the country. Uh, has been the last month or so. So um, it's going to be just a very, very, very difficult team for Oregon State to beat. So it would not shock me at all if this game is very close. Um, if the you know two touchdown spread, you know, we don't get there uh, with our projection. But I just I, I think Oregon's going to survive this one and and then have an opportunity, most likely to I think beat Washington and and get in the college football playoff. Xavier, when you look at this game between Oregon and Oregon State, is everything what Nick said kind of what you're thinking as well? Look, Oregon is just one of the best teams in the country right now, and I know Oregon State's mad, but they're on the road, and it doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just you're, yeah. you're looking at an Oregon team right now that, as Nick alluded to, is playing so well. And I think if Oregon came into this game with a couple of – like I just talked about Tulane, right, where they kind of slept, walked – where they kind of didn't really wasn't really clicking on all cylinders. It would be one thing. On the flip side, you got an Oregon team that I think realizes they still have a really good chance of making the playoff. Um, they are not buried enough for them yet. I don't believe so. Um, so I really think that they're looking at themselves as a really good candidate to make the playoffs um, if things go right for them. Obviously, Michigan still has to play Ohio State, um, and you've got you know a ton of games right there just in itself. 
that gives for me as a player, I'd be stoked. I'm like, look, we can beat the brakes off of this team right here. It'll be the last time we possibly play them unless new jurisdiction comes through. And more importantly, we still give ourselves a date with Washington where if we win with the way that we've been playing and the way that the Pac-12 as a whole has looked this year, um, you know, I think they've got, what, four or five ranked teams at this point. At some point this season, I think they had six. Um, why not? Why not us? Uh, why not really have an opportunity there to win, you know, to, to give us our, ourselves a real chance? And so, yeah, I, I don't see why this team would not look at, you know, what they could do on Saturday as an opportunity to just keep moving on. On the flip side, and this is not necessarily anything in particular, in particular pertaining to Oregon State, but this is just what happens with a lot of teams. You do what you did last week against Washington, coming that close to beating a number five team in the country, now number four, it's not always easy to get ramped up again. It's not always easy to, to get yourself in the mode of playing that hard of a football game in back-to-back -back weeks. That's why we always think it's so impressive for a team like what Georgia's done over the last couple of weeks where they beat three ranked teams in a row because it's not always easy. Now, obviously, the rivalry should have them, those guys ready to go. But, man, if I'm an Oregon State player, you know, obviously you came in Monday, the coaches were probably like, what y'all doing soaking? But I'm soaking <laughs> a little bit, you know. Like, I'm, 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 I'm feeling that, that loss a little bit more than, than normal losses because you realize that you were only two points away, and that two points was a blunder on a, on a botch snap on a punt. That stopped you from really, you know, who knows what could have been, right? Like special teams comes to play again. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah, like you, you, you find yourself really suggesting that there's a lot that could have happened that just didn't for you guys. And when that's speaking the case, it's hard to ramp up again, go on the road, you know, get yourself prepared for a game where one team is playing for college football playoff possibly possibilities, and you're just trying to knock off number six Oregon. Um, so give me Oregon to win this game. I just like the way that they've been playing all year. We've talked about it. This has been a team in Oregon that continues to show like they did last year, that they are one of, if not the best team in the country going into the end of the year, um, for Oregon state to win this game, they're going to have to muck it up like they did last week. Maybe the weather helps them out kind of like it did last week. Um, but you know, they're going to have to play a slower game. Damian Martinez, DJ Uyungle, like ball control. If they can do that, They'll give themselves somewhat of a shot. If they can't, it's going to be a long game. It's going to be a long game because we understand how balanced that Oregon team really is um, and really what they bring to the table on a weekend to weekend basis because of the fact that that balance exists. Bo Nix doesn't have to be the person who beats you every Saturday. It can be Bucky Irving and company. It can be, you know, in the, in the special teams realm with, you know, the returners that they have. And heck, their defense has, you know, in my opinion, turned somewhat of a corner since the Washington game and uh, their performances as well. So give me Oregon to win this game and what, I'm going to continue to call Civil War. I hate when they do that. Like, look, guys, I know you're trying to get a little bit cuter for, for, for the public, but it's the Red River rivalry. It's Civil War. It's Bedlam. It's, come on. Like, let's not do this. Like, yeah. let's not do this. So, yeah, give me Oregon. All right. Let's go over to LSU hosting Texas A&M here. The line is LSU by eight and a half. The total is 66 and a half here. I like the Tigers, Nick. I mean, I know I'm not surprising anyone by saying that I like LSU over AM, although I don't like either of them. But um, look, I just think that, you know, my guy Mike Farrell brought this up on uh, the BP show that I was on earlier this week. And he said, Jaden Daniels wants to win the Heisman. They're going to put up as many points as humanly possible with him to try to, you know, cement this for him here. So, 
Uh, you know, he's not going to get another game after this because the SEC title is already between Bama and Georgia. So this is his last audition. Bo Nix could have another game. So uh, this is it for him. So uh, I think that they're going to go all out. I think they're going to put up a major amount of points on LS on AM. And I like LSU in the over here. How do you see this game playing out? Well, uh, so the, the things that I was, that were going through my mind uh, as, as you were uh, leading into this, and, and often you do such a great job leading me into this and asking me a question, I take it a slightly different direction. Uh, my apologies for that, but this is, this is one of those. Uh, we, we haven't spent very much time in recent weeks because we are so focused on, all right, these are the you know four, five, six games we're going to talk about. Let's try to get in, get out. Um, we haven't spent a whole lot of time talking about Jane Daniels and his Heisman, uh, case. Um, we haven't spent very much time talking about how incredible Malik neighbors has been this year. We haven't really talked about Jimbo Fisher getting fired, even though, uh, we did make a joke last week about, uh, future Texas A&M head coach Dabo Sweeney. Not sure that's, um, but man, you know, this game one, you know, we have an opportunity to to watch a couple of the best players in college football. I mean, Jaden Daniels this year has just been absolutely incredible. I've been hesitant to fully jump on board the, uh, you know, Jaden Daniels should win the Heisman um, campaign. I do understand it. The numbers are ridiculous. Uh, you know, the, the leaving him in late fourth quarter to get another touchdown against Georgia State last week. And I don't well, know about that, that but was unnecessary. <laughs> yeah, totally <laughs> unnecessary. I think Xavier uh, no longer no longer rooting for Jaden Daniels, maybe for the for the Heisman. But I mean, he's been he's been such a great player um, this year. And you know, to to think about uh, where he started his career, I think we were all fans of what we saw from Jaden Daniels his freshman year at Arizona State, and then he kind of regressed. A little bit, and it wasn't you know, even kind of here. <laughs> yeah, and and last year the numbers were good, but I mean, coming into this season, there were plenty of uh, you know July discussions that I saw about oh, should Garrett Nussmeyer be the quarterback uh, because he had played so well, you know, toward the end of the SEC championship game when Jane Daniels went out, and and uh, looks like he's got a really bright future. But man, Jane Daniels one is just so smooth. I mean, the way he, I mean, when he takes off, I mean, he's just like, I, I can't even describe, I'm not, I'm not good with, with uh, those types of, of uh, descriptions, but I mean, it just looks effortless and, and he's so fast, uh, but he's obviously improved so much as a passer as well as just put up incredible numbers. And then Malik neighbors definitely been a part of that. Uh, he's been arguably the best receiver in college football this year uh certainly from a production standpoint and man just incredibly incredibly impressive what lsu has done on the offensive side of the ball they've got some pretty good players on the defensive side as well but you know part of the reason Jaden daniels has put up so many yards and and uh, touchdowns is because the defense really hasn't done a great job of stopping anybody they're 112th in defensive team performance overall 113th against the pass 130th against the run and you know texas a&m is is not necessarily uh, the the toughest matchup on the offensive side of the ball. They're 41st in offensive team performance overall, 51st passing, 48th rushing. They have been 
shorthanded uh, for large parts of this season. We haven't seen Max Johnson in a couple of weeks. We haven't seen Evan Stewart much recently. Um, they had a uh, an injury that cost uh, Le'Veon Moss some time, the running back. Um, so Texas A&M, you know, even though it does seem like they are playing pretty well on offense, at least the last couple of weeks against uh, you know Mississippi State team that that uh, fired its head coach and then FCS opponent Abilene Christian last week after a bit of a slow start. Um, Abilene Christian uh, mispronunciation there, but you know this this Texas A and M team does match up pretty well against an LSU defense that has struggled. Um, I I'm not sure we're going to see Evan Stewart. I'm not sure if we're going to see Max Johnson. Um, but that LSU defense, you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if Texas A&M is able to uh, go out and, and score 30, but then LSU, you know, can't stop them from, from scoring 50, uh, even though this Texas A&M defense has been a top 10 unit. They're number seven overall in defensive team performance, number five against the run, a little bit more susceptible against the pass, but, um, yeah, this – this uh, this Texas A&M team is is uh, a little bit unsure what exactly we're going to see. Um, you know, maybe maybe this is just a, a team that that is not fully healthy. Maybe mailed it in a little bit. Uh, we haven't we didn't discuss earlier in the uh, show that Jeff Trailer, UTSA head coach, probably I think is is uh, the leading candidate, and in my opinion, would be a pretty good hire. For Texas A&M, all he does is win at every level he's been. Probably not the sexiest name for for folks in that area, but um, quality football coach that that I think would would be a good hire. So I don't know for this game itself, though. Yeah, I, I agree. We're gonna we're gonna see everything LSU can do to put up just crazy numbers for Jaden Daniels, Malik Neighbors, Brian Thomas, that group, um, and we'll just see if this Texas A&M team can you know live up to. Uh, what they've done so far on the defensive side of the ball and and keep it close enough. Our projection uh, has LSU covering. Our team strength projection has LSU favored by a little more than 10 and a half. The talent edge is actually a little closer to 12. And a lot of that is uh, talented players who are not listed among the the starters for Texas A&M. The stats only model sees it closer, sees it right at LSU favored by seven. Um, But I think that, that, LSU is a healthier team, Texas A&M dealing with uh, what it's dealing with injury-wise and, and with the coaching transition. Um, I put a little more stock in, in that team strength projection. I think this is a game that LSU can and probably should win by double digits. Xavier, uh, first of all, I hope Dabo goes to A&M because I already don't like him. So I think it'd be great if he ends up there. But um, your thoughts on this game between A&M and LSU, do you think that the Tigers – just dismantle the Aggies here? Do you think they're playing better under an interim head coach? What are your thoughts Give here? me a 73-72 six-overtime thriller that ends in a skeptical pass interference penalty that's not called. Um, yeah, yeah. No, um, I think realistically, LSU should win this game probably 50-30. to 30. I think that's going to be your final score here. Uh, I think Jaden Daniels submits himself as the Heisman winner. I know that other people are in the race, especially Bo Nix, when we just talked about. But, dude, the kid is putting up astronomical numbers. 
um, or a team that if all they had was last year's defense is probably a one loss LSU team, maybe two max. Uh, like this is, this is a, this is an LSU team that if they could find a post defensively, maybe in the college football playoff race, like he, that's how good he's been pretty much all season. Now I know people would point back to the FSU game, but LSU had opportunities in that second half to put up points. You got a couple of drop passes, um, and obviously some, some untimely penalties, but in Alabama, it took to hurt the kid to, to not, you know, that they couldn't keep up with him. So I just think that AM, for all the five star talent that they've got there, you know, I, I think a lot of those kids are going to enter the portal personally. Uh, I think that they're ready to, to try something new. Uh, I understand that there's going to be an interim there, and that obviously brings in, you know, a, a new wave of energy to an extent. But I just look at this AM team, and they just, I just feel like they're like a sitting duck. I just feel like they're really just waiting in the water and biding their time. Uh, they don't feel like a team for me that feels like all too confident in themselves at the moment. Uh, I don't think that they're playing confident football. They, they, they just, when I, when I watch them play, I just, I'm not, I, I just feel so, and I know Scott doesn't feel bad for these guys at all, but I just feel bad. Like, I'm just like, ah, you guys just, just really don't have it in the tank. Like you guys just don't have it, whatever it is that you're missing this year. It just never, it just never clicked, um, you know. And, and there was some opportunities there for AM to really make this season special. Losing by six, seven, and three to AM, Tennessee, and Bama. You know, the, you, there's going to be a lot of people who look back on the season and go, "Man, Jimbo just really, just really kind of messed it up." So, give me LSU to kind of just be the last, you know, knife, you know, the knife in the coffin, um, and just really just end their season off on, on the sour note for what has been a pretty much a sour season for an AM team with so much hope coming into it um, that at every turn, whether that be Connor Wegman getting hurt, uh, whether it be the five, you know, Evan Stewart not being 100% healthy, whether it be the starters just not really seeing, or the five-star talent not seeing that next level that we thought that they could hit. It's a bad year. Gotta let it go. Knife in the coffin. One of, yeah, one of my, one of my yeah. favorite things of, of recent weeks, and maybe you've done it forever and I just haven't noticed. Yes, I think you put something different in a coffin each week. None of them are nails. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I didn't realize it was the coffins, but Welsh, <laughs> Welsh continuously screws up cliches. So I literally sent him a cliche book. Look, look, nothing I, but I think what was it, I'm going to get a copy and send it to, to Zombier here. Too. I think, uh, I, think I said sword in the coffin. Like, yeah, it's been sharp in the coffins. objects yeah, in the yeah. coffins. I'm, I'm putting a lot of things in these coffins and none of them are <laughs> Hey, look, at least you're honest it. with it, us. It, all right? At least you're honest with us and everything is interesting to Nick. So we've all got stuff. So, But let's let's go ahead and talk North Carolina at NC State. The line here is the Tar Heels by three. 55 and a half is the total in this game, Nick. I don't want to mess with this one at all. I'll just say that. North Carolina has been too up and down for me. So is NC State. I know the defense is going to be great uh, for NC State most weeks, but I just, I, this is not a game that I look at and I go, I am definitely putting some money on it. So how do you see this one playing out? Well, so this is a game that meets our criteria where all three of our projection models line up on the favorite. Uh, I finally did get some concrete numbers. I've been sort of vague about those, but then like, yeah, they've been doing well. They've been doing well. They've been doing well. Um, and that is absolutely true since week six. <laughs> Prior to week six, they were horrible. Since week six, 
They are 34 and now 22 because we did lose Buffalo on Tuesday. Um, but, you know, that's a, that's a really solid run. We're 42 and 40 for the year, 34 and 21 since week six. But I know at least three of those losses are North Carolina. Um, that our numbers just, just have never given up on North Carolina. Um, you know, we, we do rate the quarterback position very high. Drake May is a 106.5 rated player in our, uh, you know, uncapped uh, individual player ratings. Um, they got a big boost when Tez Walker uh, was, was deemed eligible. And though North Carolina has, has dealt with some injuries, they've had injuries on the offensive line. They've had injuries, the wide receiver position. Um, you know, they're, they're a team that our numbers still think are, are a top 10 offense as far as roster strength goes. They're number 10 in offensive roster strength. Um, they are fringe top 10 in offensive team performance. A uh, big part of that is their number five in rushing offensive team performance because Amarian Hampton has been one of the best running backs in college football. Um, so this North Carolina offense is, is capable absolutely of, of, uh, going out and, and I think putting up a good number against NC state defensively, they are vulnerable, but they've made a lot of progress as we've, 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 you know, the opposite of what I said about UTSA, we haven't talked about them in quite a while. We've talked about North Carolina most weeks, it seems like. So I'll repeat a lot of the, the same type things. I mean, they're roughly FBS average on defense, but that's a big step forward from triple digits the last couple of years. Um, they do have some talented players. Cedric Gray is uh, accepted an invite to the Senior Bowl, I believe. Um, you know, he's an All-American caliber player. NC State is a team that we haven't talked about very much, even though they've got that same eight and three record and, and you know, have played really pretty well uh, the last few weeks, you know, knocked off Clemson uh, in uh, late October, uh, beat Miami, uh, both of those games at home. They were underdogs in both of those games. Um, absolutely, you know, took care of business on the road against Wake Forest and on the road last week against Virginia Tech. They lost their quarterback, MJ Morris, had, you know, been named the starter, uh, replaced Brennan Armstrong, the transfer from Virginia. He ends up going into the transfer portal. Morris does uh, a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, what does Armstrong do but come back in and, and has played pretty well. NC State also lost their starting running back uh, this past week. Michael Allen entered the transfer portal, is not going to play against North Carolina. So, you know, despite seeming, you know, uh, issues, unknowns, uh, you know, who's going to be available at the offensive skill positions. NC State has still found a way to put enough offense together, a lot of it being uh, Casey Concepcion, one of the best true freshman wide receivers in the country. They've been able to do enough to, you know, put together one of their, probably their best four games, quite honestly. Certainly their best four games against uh, FBS opponents the last four weeks. So a lot of it is defense. You know, they've, they've excelled in spite of their offensive issues um, in large part because they do 
you know, rank in, in the 90s in offensive team performance. Um, but this is a, a defense that has just been really, really difficult to score against. They're 18th in defensive team performance overall. They're 17th against the pass, top 10 against the run. So this is definitely a strength versus strength situation. But I think that, you know, if you flip it around and you look at North Carolina's weaker spot versus the NC State uh, areas where they've struggled, even though, you know, we've seen some positive signs on offense, NC State still ranks 97th in offensive team performance, 109th passing, 107th rushing. So, you know, you get one of the worst offenses in the country, top, you know, bottom 25 offense in the country against a mediocre middle of the pack defense. I think NC State's just the better team, and they do have the ability to be an elite offense going up. I would say have a very you know not a not a huge edge, but would give uh, the uh, the North Carolina offense the edge um, in that matchup. Top ten offense versus top twenty defense. So our numbers have have probably been too high on North Carolina a handful of times. This game is in Raleigh. It's going to be a tough place to play. Going to be, uh, you know, one of the better defenses that North Carolina has faced. So, you know, getting uh, my my level of confidence is not super high, but I understand why our projections think that North Carolina is going to win this one by, you know, a touchdown instead of a field goal. So, um, we'll we'll do it again. See if North Carolina can come through for us. Uh, I just think they're honestly just the, the better team. Xavier, do you have a strong pull one way or the other between UNC and NC State? No, but I do feel like this is like the Drake May goodbye UNC game. Um, I think he goes out there and puts together an astronomical performance against an NC State team that's, I think, played better in the back half of the year. I think they've had many opportunities. You know, obviously, they've won four straight. Um, and, and the impressive part of them, the way that they've won these games is – They've shown you that their defense can shut down offenses. Um, obviously, Miami and Wake Forest are nothing to be like, oh, my God, over. But they, they've been able to do it, right, beating both teams. Uh, both, both, excuse me, in both games only giving up six points. Um, and they've also shown you that they can win somewhat of a shootout, right, being Virginia Tech 35-28 um, last week. So I, I think the only thing for, for, for me on this game that kind of gives me room for caution when it comes to picking North Carolina is do they feel – is there any – kind of let over, you know, let down after last week's performance, right? Uh, you lost to, a, you know, you lost to Clemson with an opportunity to at least keep yourself in the conversation if, you know, Louisville had a loss last week, which was a very real chance in that ball game. You know, you, you really didn't show up at all. Uh, you know, you, you had you led in the first quarter, and after that it was kind of them getting steamrolled <laughs> for the rest of the game. Uh, Drake May was rather pedestrian. Uh, the run game was great. Um, you know, Mario and Hampton went bananas but i really felt like you know i really feel like north carolina's cooking when their passing game is cooking um and when they're more allowed to be balanced and last week they were not allowed to be balanced at all you know drake may going 16 of 36 like i said in the you know at the beginning of the episode i feel like it was his worst game of the year um just by watching it and on the flip side you know unfortunately it's happened so late in the year but i do think guys like i think do think brendan armstrong has you know kind of figured it out um along with them obviously using uh, MJ Morris to spell at times. So I say all that to say, I think, like I said, Drake may puts together a performance that he, at the end of the day, can be happy about um, and walk away from North Carolina, you know, 
not playing the ball game. Um, walk away from North Carolina with, you know, with, with kind of that last, like, remember what I did at the end of my career uh, kind of vibe, um, you know, kind of similar to what Sam Howell did sort of at the end of his career in North Carolina. So give me UNC to win this ball game. I'm really interested to see um, how, you know, now that, no, I, correct me if I'm wrong, this is not a ranked versus ranked matchup, is it? Right. Only two. Um, no, yeah. no. And NC State is the ranked team. It's the ranked one, yeah. <laughs> so I'm really interested to see if that gives North Carolina a little bit more juice coming into this game. Because uh, it's one thing to play a team that's, you know, to, to, to obviously play a team that's not ranked in NC State if you were North Carolina and be like, oh, another unranked opponent in the ACC. Uh, uh, but, you know, you are on the road, uh, you know, the rivalry on Tobacco Road is what I believe it's called. Um, I think I'm pretty sure there's something that deals with tobacco in North Carolina. I know that for a fact, you know, <laughs> yeah. yes. you know, I, I, I pay attention in geography class, uh, but yeah. So I, I, you know, I think this is, it. you know, should give North Carolina a little bit more juice with them playing a ranked NC state team. Uh, but these games are always fun. This, this rivalry in particular has given us some, some crazier finishes over the last couple of years. So I'm just excited to watch this game. I, you know, barring the fact that it has no real playoff implications. This has just been a fun rivalry. No, no matter who's the, you know, perceived better team. It just has been a really fun rivalry uh, for the last couple of years. So yeah, give me UNC to win it, but it should be a fun game no matter what. All right, let's go to the last game we have planned to talk about here. And it's the game. It's number three, Ohio state at number two, Michigan, Michigan is a three and a half point home favorite. 46 and a half is the total here. I mean, this game, you usually just take the points. I think this game, the Iron Bowl, you know, a lot of these games where it's huge rivalry, it's rivalry week. Um, if there's not a lot on the line, you just take the points. Or if there is a lot on the line, you take the points. I feel like that is what most people do in this scenario. Um, but a lot of people are taking the under in this mm -hmm. game because mm -hmm. two amazing defenses right here. So, Nick, your thoughts, who wins between Ohio State and Michigan in the 2020 and three version of the game? Ooh. Well, who wins? The, the numbers, the team strength model, at least, has Michigan favored. The talent edge model has Ohio State as a slight favorite. Uh, the stats only model has Michigan covering. So officially, we have Michigan in the, in the team strength model, the, the primary one that takes into account all of our player ratings, coach history, all that good stuff, um, has Michigan favored by one. Ohio State is still our number one team in our power rankings. It's, it's uh, very close uh, against number two, Michigan. But, of course, this game is in Ann Arbor. Um, I, I kind of like that we're on... Ohio State and in the official, uh, you know, Vegas Insider consensus that we always use for grading on on our uh, when we put our projections in stone on Tuesday was three and a half. So yeah, you know, if Michigan wins, um, it's one of those games that comes down to a last second field goal. I feel like we're in a pretty good spot, obviously, with Ohio State by less than than the the three, um, but it, I kind of think that this Ohio State team, oddly enough, because I know they're number two in the the playoff rankings, they are the higher ranked team coming into this matchup, I feel like they've been a little bit underrated all year. And, and there was 
there was a time, you know, when in September, Kyle McCord named starter or actually wasn't fully named starter, right? In in uh, uh, the days leading up to the the season, we were we're told we were going to see Devin Brown um, and did didn't fully work itself out for a couple of games, but he struggled, right? Didn't put up great numbers. Didn't even even worse. I think the eye test uh, didn't quite work out. The running back situation they've dealt all. You know, Travion Henderson, Mayan Williams, uh, Chip Trainum, all those guys have missed time with injury. Um, Emeka Ibuka, one of the best receivers in the country, uh, missed a, a good chunk of the last month with with an injury and has been limited since. Uh, but Marvin Harrison Jr., there's a reason why he's, you know, one of the, the highest project, you know, what, top two, top three uh, NFL draft pick most likely. Uh, Travion Henderson's finally got back in healthy. Ikbuka's kind of rounding into to form a little bit. And I was, I've been incredibly impressed, but also a little bit surprised every time I go through and update the team performance numbers, which is basically my Monday. I'm going through and, and collecting all the stats, running them, seeing how, how things fall. Uh, Ohio State is legitimately one of the best defenses in the country. They're number three, number three in defensive team performance overall. They are top five against both the pass and the run. And, you know, they took a big step forward last year, uh, bringing in Jim Knowles. Improved from, you know, they had been in the 30s in 2020 and 2021. They were 12th last year. Still had room for improvement have a ton of talent, um, have weathered some injuries, particularly in the secondary, but they're just they're just one of the best defenses in the country. Uh, they are number one in defensive roster strength, um, and they're finally playing like it. I mean, they've been, you know, number one or top three uh, in, in those roster strength numbers on the defensive side of the ball for a while, but they've come up a little bit short on the field. You know, not anymore. They are legitimately one of the best defenses in the country. And, you know, I still think uh, that the offense is, is capable of that as well. They certainly have some of the best weapons in the country. And I think Cal McCord is, has shown some improvement and, you know, playing well enough to uh, lead Ohio State to victory uh, in this game. I, I definitely think that that it's possible. Michigan has been legitimately one of the very best teams in the country. Uh, they have not been tested very much. They're really their only true test. Uh, they, they, well, I was going to, uh, Michigan was, was the trip to Penn state, right? A couple oh, of weeks ago leading yeah, up yeah. into that. Um, Ohio state. Yeah. That, that Notre Dame game. I mean, they had a 4% post game win expectancy <laughs> uh, in that one, but they've been almost perfect since they, they, Struggled a little bit with Rutgers, 90% in that game, but the rest, 100% down the line. Um, Michigan, sort of until the last two weeks, was pretty much operating at 100%. But they are showing signs of vulnerability. Um, you know, the, the game against Penn State was tough. Um, and then last week against Maryland, they just they couldn't put away – a Maryland team that that they were clearly better and more talented than, and, and 
you know, 55% post-game win expectancy. It happens. Um, but this Michigan team, I mean, they've been dealing with, you know, all the, the scandal and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and that can help a team to, to galvanize, rally around. Uh, but sometimes, you know, it, it, it starts to weigh. And, and I wonder if Michigan is, you know, they're still very much capable of winning this game, winning the national championship. But I don't know. I mean, they, they're kind of dealing with some injuries now at the same time that Ohio State's getting healthier. Roman Wilson played a couple of snaps last week before going out with injury. They were without Ladarius Henderson, their starting left tackle, uh, one of the best uh, you know offensive lines in the country, top 25 in our O-line performance ratings, but he's one of the higher-rated uh, offensive linemen. Even though Blake Corum scores like two touchdowns a game, some of the, the rushing numbers have been a little bit disappointing. They're 16th in rushing offensive team performance. Uh, J.J. McCarthy hasn't been asked to do very much in recent weeks, but you know his number is not that great. Um, they are the number one defense in the country, basically across the board. Number one defensive team performance, number one against the pass, number one against the run, number one in points allowed per game against FBS opponents. Number one in points per drive allowed. Number one in success rate against. Number one in PPA per play. Uh, you know, top ten yards per pass attempt. Top five yards per pass or yards per play. So, legitimately the best defense in the country. I understand absolutely why everybody's on the under. That makes sense. Uh, we are slightly over, just because that's the way it seems to have been working for us so far this year, but. You know, this is number one versus number two in our power rankings. It's the most talented team in the country in Ohio State against what's been the best team in the country on the field in team performance uh, as one of the greatest, most would say the greatest rivalry in, in college football. Uh, certainly this year, it, it's the, the premier uh, rivalry game and has been for a few, but man, it's, uh, it, it's one of the great college football games that we get to experience each year. And, and this year the stakes are about as high uh, as they can be. I mean, with all the teams that we talked about at the beginning of the show who have been deserving of a spot in the college football playoff, um, you know, most years the team that would lose this game still probably going to make it. This year, I don't know. I mean, will, will a one-loss Michigan or Ohio State team uh, get in over an undefeated Florida State? Or, um, you know, if, if – a one-loss Alabama wins uh, wins the SEC championship. I don't know. So, so the stakes here are, are very, very high. Not just for bragging rights and and Big Ten championship, but national championship aspirations as well. So, uh, should be a great one. We'll come down, I think, to uh, the very end. And our our projection officially is on Michigan to win, but on Ohio State to cover and. Uh, I my my gut kind of tells me that that Ohio State finds a way to pull it. Xavier, do you have um, are you as confident as Nick is in Ohio State coming in here and winning this game? There's a lot of distractions from Michigan, but they are at home. I mean, like I said, I think the safe bet is the probably the under here, mm-hmm. but uh, I I don't know which side to take. Well, what are you doing here? It's going to come down to quarterback play. Um, and I think Kyle McCord has hit somewhat of a stride down in the, the end of this year. Now he did have one dud, um, at least in passing yards, not necessarily in 
um, touchdowns to interception ratio against Rutgers. But I, it's going to come down to quarterback play, in my opinion. I don't want to sugarcoat it too much because I think both defenses are good enough to neutralize each other's running game, which has been the, in my opinion, especially in big games for Ohio State, has been their calling card. You know, I think when you look at the way that they've won a lot of these bigger matchups is they've gone, you know what? Our quarterback not, might not have tonight, but our running game is going to be elite in between the 20s, um, you know, and it's going to be elite on third down. And so I think that in this game in particular, like I said, both defenses are good enough to slow down, if not stop each other's run game. Um, and so it's going to come down to which quarterback can make the biggest throws. And I've got to lean on the side of Ohio State just purely because Kyle McCord has figured out that he has Marvin Harrison Jr. Like, and I, and I, I know I've jokingly said that about four or five times on this podcast this year, but I, I do think that if, you know, that matchup, because it's going to be Marvin Harrison Jr. versus Will uh, Will Johnson all night, all night. They're going to, I, I guarantee, I would be surprised if at any point in that game, Michigan doesn't have Will Johnson follow uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., uh, the extremely talented sophomore um, out of Detroit. I'd be shocked. Um, and so give me Ohio State to win this matchup because I believe in the system that Ohio State has been able to produce with Kyle McCord back there in the passing game a little bit more. And J.J. McCarthy has just – he's regressed as the year has gone on. And Excuse me. That's never a good thing as you get closer and closer to the end of your season. You know, you look at some of his numbers as we get – you know, as we get closer and closer to December, and he's just been pedestrian. It's, you know, his last three games – you know, he hasn't gone – you know, he hasn't thrown a touchdown in three games, right? Like, this is a kid who's – you know, threw for 335 against Purdue, but no touchdowns. Seven of eight versus Penn State. Eight passes versus Penn State. 12 of 23 in an interception. When Tarbaugh's been there. gone, they've just been running the ball. Yeah, it's like, been, you know, all right. I don't know, you know, and, and it's funny because obviously, you know, we're a little over 50% of the way through the NFL season, so the draft talk has begun. Somebody asked me about J.J. McCarthy, and I was like, well, I got to see him without the training wheels on. And so far, Michigan is just, if anything, they've added extra training wheels uh, to the to, to what this kid's, you know, doing on a regular basis. I just, I, I, I watch him play and I go, where's this dynamic runner that has a cannon of an arm that Michigan fans were so hype about over, um, uh, over Kay McNamara that, you know, was going to revolutionize a, a run-heavy system that couldn't win the big game. I'm looking at him like, this is the same thing y'all did with Kay McNamara. Just verbatim. Um, and so I just feel like coming into this game, unless they're going to say to themselves, all right, let's go ahead and open it up and let, you know, JJ McCarthy try to beat an Ohio state secondary that I don't think has really been tested all year. Um, extremely, you know, a good secondary, but I, I don't think that they've been tested all that much all year. I, I, I got to lean Ohio state, man. I just feel like a team that this year's one is healthy coming into this game. You know, we talked about it last year, you know, or Nick talked about it this year, you know, Michigan is coming into Michigan is coming into this game kind of beat up. We kind of had the same kind of sentiment about Ohio State last year. They weren't all the way there. Uh, they were missing some pieces. On the flip side, I, I think right now Michigan is looking at themselves like this could be the this is probably the worst time to be you know as unhealthy as we've been this year. So give me Ohio State to win this game. Um, I just need JJ McCarthy to do more in these big games. Like I ran down his stats every time he plays in a big game, and that and I I, I quantify that as. Penn State, Ohio State, Big Ten, Big Ten championship game and playoff game. And he has yet to throw over 30 passes. He's yet to have a completion percentage better than 50% in all of those big games. And there's just 
something about these matchups where the Michigan staff goes, JJ, you're not going to lose it for us today. And I don't think that's the mindset you have to have when you're going into these rivalry games. You got to trust the kid to go back there as a the five-star that he was and, 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 and throw the football around. Otherwise, you're, you're going to fall short in these big matchups because the teams are eventually just going to realize once we take away Quorum and Haskins, we're not worried about McCarthy. So give me uh, give me Ohio State to win this game, uh, even though I, I've pretty much been lambasting them all year. Uh, give, me, <laughs> give, give me Ohio State. Uh, give me the Buckeyes to win on the road, get a little bit of get back from last year as well. For a defense that I think up front is better than they were last year, um, offensively, I don't think they're nearly as elite, but their defense this year, I think the, the the names we talked about last year have grown, obviously, a year and progressed, and they look good. Jack Sawyer and company, those guys are really hitting their stride at the right time of the year. Um, and I think that they have enough of the names uh, that typically Ohio State does on that front four to get it done on Saturday. All right. Well, before we leave you, uh, Nick, are there any games that you look at this week and you go, man, I think there's a big lean this way, that way, any totals you like, or anything where you just go, what is happening here? Uh, well, this is the time where I, the last several weeks, have pointed out when all three of our models agree on a favorite to cover. Uh, as I mentioned, those have been 34 and 21 since week six. We have more than ever. The most we've ever had in the previous week is 11. I believe I counted 17 this week, so I won't run through all of them. Uh, but a few that I that I think I like, and, and the numbers seem to really be screaming uh, that, that there's some value. Um, Toledo at Central Michigan on Friday. That's, that's the best of the Friday ones, I think. Um, Ten and a half was the official number for us on Tuesday. Not, not one hundred percent sure, you know, what the up to date numbers here are, but uh, we've got Toledo by at least twelve and a half uh, in all three. Um, on Saturday morning or, or early afternoon, uh, Purdue in the old Oaken Bucket rivalry against Indiana. That was a two and a half point uh, spread on Tuesday. We've got it at at least six, um, and it does sound like Hudson Card is back. I think that report came out maybe after the um our official numbers were in so might have to that one might have moved i will check uh three and a half now so it moved to moved a point um but we have it going up to six at least um one that that definitely caught my eye and they uh they were mentioned in in the sort of a uh ugly way earlier, but East Carolina, we have as at least a a nearly five point favorite in all three of our models against Tulsa. They were three and a half uh, projected. I kind of like that one. Um, And then let's see one more in the late games. Um, How about USF with bowl eligibility on the line? They're a six and a half point favorite against Charlotte. Um, We've got it our stats only model has it right at seven, but our other two have USF as a double digit favorite. So I kind of like that one. And then very last one, this one, my, my level of uh, confidence isn't super high because it fits a lot of the things that we were talking about um, with Oregon state and Oregon. Washington uh, technically is one of these uh, projections for us this week. 
the official total was six or the, the official uh, spread was 16 and a half. Our three projection models have Washington favored by 16.62, 16.76, and 16.66. <laughs> that's pretty close to that's as close to all three actually agreeing uh, as you'll ever get. So um, excellent. Xavier, when you look at the schedule for week 13, like we said, not a lot of upsets. The yep. line should be as best as they're going to get this year, but there's it's college football. There's always weirdness. There's always injuries, whatever. Is there something that stands out to you the most for week 13? Uh, can I get, and this is just being trolly because I've gone the entire episode without saying anything about them. Uh, give me Vanderbilt to cover against Tennessee. Um, <laughs> no. 25 and a half after essentially getting obliterated at home. Maybe they have a, you know, a letdown against a, uh, a rowdy, you know, Commodore bunch. Um, can I get Florida in the upset over Florida state? I think Isn't Graham Mertz out too, though. He is. Yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah. look, I'm not, I'm not overly confident in Florida state. Haven't been overly confident in Florida state's playing a full four quarters all Look, year. I'm not either, but they did get dropped to fifth in the playoff ranking just because Jordan Travis got hurt. And I bet that is going to light some fires there. You know, the, so I, 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 mean, I agree with you. The problem that I have with their system is I'm not entirely sure that system is built for any other quarterback to succeed right now. That's on their roster. Okay. Like, the way I watch when you, when you watch them play part of what makes them so good is the fact that Travis is so is you know a lot of the a lot of the times a, a gunslinger and doesn't and trusts his guys to win 50-50s. And, and and if Rodemaker doesn't go out there, you know, with that same kind of confidence or same time kind of repertoire with his receivers, I could see him putting a lot of dangerous balls in the air. And that Florida State that Florida team is playing for bowl eligibility. And the one thing that I do know, and this is just from talking to Florida beat writers, is they love Billy. But they also know if Billy doesn't make a bowl game this year, that his seat's going to be in Fuego. Sunbelt. Sunbelt, Billy. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, this, is the, this is the most disagreeable I've ever seen Nick look while waiting to retort back. <laughs> he looks legit no, no, no. angry. I, no, oh, no, no, no. I think it's I – think, I think you're making a – you're bringing up some very good points. Um, I'm curious, and you might have – seen these because i know you guys have access to the sheets but uh i'm curious if you guys know where florida state is right now in our power rankings i didn't look uh where where are they as of right now are they at, like 20th right, or something that's what i'm saying 16th yeah yeah 16th where's florida oh no no yeah i'm, I'm Florida's 57th, but, but undefeated Florida State. I, that, I was just curious about that. I Or, or you know, I, I just did want to bring that up because they've, yeah. they've played very good football, obviously, but they are, you know, they're top 10 in overall team performance. They're eighth. So if if team performance wasn't part of this, now that Jordan Travis is out of the mix and, and you know, he wasn't super highly – uh, rated coming out of high school, but has been very productive, is a 100-rated player um, because of that production in our individual player ranks. But Florida State dropped down to 17th in overall roster strength and 31st in offensive roster strength. So huge, huge loss. Graham Mertz, that's that's a loss as well. Um, you know, he, he's, he grades he, out look, pretty well. I and he's played really I'm going well. to bat for Graham Mertz right now. <laughs> but the guy has played great this year. He, has, he really yes. has. 
He has. And Max Brown, player. redshirt freshman, you know, he's a 73 in our in our player rating. So yeah, um, just, that's a big loss as well. But uh, but I was just surprised. Absolutely. This is but. where this game for me, you throw out the records. Florida State last year. It's a lot way of this better. week. No, it's no, no. a lot of this week. It's yeah. February week. Florida State last year, way better than Florida, right? Like just exceedingly better than Florida. Anthony Richardson goes in there, somehow gives that team a chance to win, and 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 through 14 straight incompletions, and still had a chance to win late in that game. I just sometimes you throw those, those numbers away. I think it's it's at Florida this year. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So, so I was just yeah, I was just looking at that. Uh, I mean, so, yeah, man. Yeah. I just you look at you look at this team, and I just feel like Florida. Like I said, they are playing. I'm not saying they're paying for Billy's job at all. But I do think a lot of Florida fans, mm-hmm. if they do not make a bowl game, especially after what and Scott, I don't know if you were part of this episode. I think it was the episode you missed. I essentially told Nick, I was like, look, if they don't beat Arkansas, they might not make a bowl game. And that makes his that's gonna make his seat scorching if they don't make it. Because the only thing saving his butt right now is the fact that they have a top five recruiting class and they're bringing in a kid named DJ Lagway, who's currently ranked the third ranked quarterback in the country. So like he needs this <laughs> in the worst way possible. Um, and, uh, and nothing goes into the offseason, the boost, than beating the number five team. I don't care if they don't have their starting quarterback. Hey, look, the bowl game is a big motivator. Yeah. Uh, but but I think that a lot of people just see that there's blood in the water for Florida State and think, well, Florida can beat him. Florida just lost their starting quarterback, too. So uh, it's just, a, it, you know, it's kind of the same game we thought it was, but – Take the under, you know what I mean? That's kind of how I feel about it. So I just, um, I'm not touching it. I'll say that none that's of my good. dollars are going towards the Seminoles or Gators. I will <laughs> that, watch that, it that and have true. a great time. So <laughs> I will but, say if, if we see a national championship contender lose to, you know, an unranked uh, rival, this one's probably the one, right? Yeah. I mean, I know the, the spread is like six and a half. I don't know if uh, it's moved much beyond that. So so it wouldn't be a shock based on that. But, you know, looking through, I don't think even with the game being in Jordan-Hare, I don't think Alabama's in trouble. You know, I don't think even though it's in Atlanta that Georgia's in trouble. I, uh, you know, a, a lot of these where, uh, and we already discussed the, Oregon's and, and uh, Michigan, Ohio State's, of course, a different different category. But I don't know if it happens. I could see Florida pulling it off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, look. I mean, it, yeah. Go uh, ahead, Samir. Go ahead. No, no. I, weirder things have happened in Alabama, Auburn, and that game just has a little bit more of that 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 juju in it than anything, right? And it would be very, it would be very Auburn-like to lose to New Mexico State and then put together their second best performance all year against Alabama. And it would be very this year's Alabama-like to sleepwalk the first two and a half quarters. Jalen Milrow throws like a pick or two, and we've got a seven-point game going into the fourth quarter. Like, I would not be surprised if that was the case. I also think that. You know, Saban's got these boys playing the best football they've been playing all year. Um, even if it is still isn't exceed, it still it, yeah. Even if it's not still crazily impressive from Jalen Milrow in the passing game, 
that defense is turning the corner. I think that offensive line has turned somewhat of a corner as well. So I expect Alabama to handle business. And there's no way they can handle two losses in Tuscaloosa this year. That plays my burn to the ground, especially if one's against Texas and the only other one's against Auburn. <laughs> two things. Okay. One, uh, how about Hugh Freeze's last two games against New Mexico State? Right? I know Liberty just got destroyed by New Mexico State last year, and then they ooh, have his number. Yeah, uh, whatever. Dude, Jerry Kill is a magician. Any of these? I mean, Texas A&M. They should, <laughs> they should probably hire Jerry Kill. I think. Uh, so. Hopefully, but they won't. one thing that we have have uh, you know avoided avoided today it was in that playoff conversation, looking for a little help, but also. Has uh, a team that they sometimes struggle to. Yeah, yeah, I know. To, uh, to beat. Yeah, I remember where I was when we missed <laughs> a tackle against Michael Crabtree. I was driving down Shea Boulevard in Scottsdale uh, when that happened. Uh, look, I I worry about this game. Of course, I do. Um, and this is the one. Didn't the you know Big Twelve commissioner tell Texas Tech to go out and win too? Like. Uh, uh, even, uh, my guy Farrell says the refs are probably going to be against Texas as well, even <laughs> though this is in Austin. Um, yeah, look, it's a stacked deck against the Longhorns here this week. I understand that. Uh, but it went for the, I don't, I don't think Texas tech, this Texas tech team, which I've been wrong before. I don't know that they're the ones to do it. I think if Texas loses, it's going to be in the big 12 championship. So, Fair. um, you know, if it is in, in Lubbock, It'd be yeah. a way different atmosphere, and that crowd is tough. Uh, their fans are great. Uh, Texas Tech fans are. So um, that I would be more worried than I am because I am worried, of course. I've watched this team for two decades lose these games. So, um, <laughs> you know, I am worried, of course, but I, this is – I was way more worried last week against TCU. So, But they mm. keep getting up and then not finishing off their, their opponent – and letting them back in the game. So I assume that's going to happen. In but this they're game. winning them this year. Yes. That's very true. So and far. <laughs> and look, Oklahoma, you, who they were ahead well, of, let come back and win. So, TCU well. gave you that playbook last year. All you got to do is win them. It doesn't matter how you win them. It just matters that you do. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> so, uh, that's what it is. So, yeah. hey, look. Have a great Thanksgiving, everyone. Oh, we appreciate oh, you. Oh, sure. One more. <laughs> yes, please. I does Iowa go over? No. It's 26 and a half, isn't it? Yes. Uh. <laughs> it's Iowa, Nebraska. Do they go Oh, over? my God, no. Under. <laughs> Under. Where is it? Is it? It's at Iowa, right? Um, I think it's at Nebraska. Uh, is it in Nebraska? Oh, it is in Nebraska, yes. Oh, uh, yeah. Going under. And Nebraska's got boiled <laughs> on the line. Definitely going under. Um, yeah, I mean... <laughs> How I saw a prop on, I think it was DraftKings, no touchdowns. It was like plus 700 or something. Dude, plus no touchdowns <laughs> in the NFL is plus 15,000 most days. <laughs> like, it is unbelievable. So you're never going to get that in an NFL game. But Iowa, Nebraska, if there's going to be a game with no touchdowns, that's the go. one. So, uh, but look, we hope you guys have a great Thanksgiving, a great holiday. Um, you know, have a great time with your families. If you're not with your families, enjoy it. Watch the football. 
And, um, you know, stay safe out there. And we will be back to talk conference championships next week. So remember, you can follow us all on the Twitter at Campus2Canton for Campus Canton at CFP Winning Edge for Nick at Xavier underscore Trist here, ICHE for Xavier and at Bogdan Sports for myself. We will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. (laughs) 